In a recent article from Commentary.org, journalist Barry Weiss recounts an alarming number of incidents that have occurred in numerous academic institutions across the country. She writes of David Peterson, an art professor at Skidmore College in upstate New York. He stood accused in the fevered summer of 2020 of engaging in hateful conduct that threatens black Skidmore students. And what was that hateful conduct? David and his wife Andrea went to watch a rally for police officers. Given the painful events that continue to unfold across this nation, I guess we just felt compelled to see firsthand how all of this was playing out in our own community, he told the Skidmore student newspaper. David and his wife stayed for 20 minutes on the edge of the event. They held no signs, participated in no chance. They just watched. Then they left for dinner. For the crime of listening, David Peterson's class was boycotted. A sign appeared on his classroom door. Stop. By entering this class, you are crossing a campus-wide picket line and breaking the boycott against Professor David Peterson. This is not a safe environment for marginalized students. Then the university opened an investigation into accusations of bias in the classroom. In recent years, disturbing incidents like this one, Weiss reported on, have happened at an alarming rate. Activism across college campuses and in progressive cities has pushed for radical social, political, and societal revolution. The calls to dismantle the patriarchy, redistribute wealth, tax the rich, defund the police, are all grounded in the understanding that these institutions are by nature irredeemably discriminatory and must be destroyed. The call to be woke is to be conscious of these injustices in society and aware of the need for their dismantling. Critical race theory is an approach to these social changes that also calls for the deconstruction of supposedly racist institutions, laws, and establishments. But are these ideas grounded in truth? Are they working? And will they ever work? What is the Christian response to critical race theory? How is a Christian to view being woke? And what if we get canceled or censored for simply telling the truth? Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible Podcast, the podcast where we talk beards, Bibles, and everything in between. My name is Josh. I am joined, as always, by Gabriel Rutledge, my beautiful co-host. How are you today, sir? Good, although I'm not I'm not feeling too beautiful, but mm. uh, thank you for that compliment. Is that a Spider-Man shirt you have on today? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? How do you not know what I, your shirt is? I honestly don't know. I think this was. I think this came from a bag of clothes that were supposed to go to Goodwill or something. I honestly have no idea. And you fished it out. Did you give it the smell test before you put it on? Man, it probably smelled better than it does right <laughs> now, being on my body. But yeah, I think it is. That's the thing. Is like I don't know anything about these superhero things. And I put this shirt on, and then uh, my youngest son, Micah, is like, "You're wearing a Spider-Man shirt. You're super awesome now." And I was like, "Oh, really? I have no idea what this shirt is." I think that actually might be Venom. Here, back up. Let me see it on the camera. Hang on. Oh, no. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe he is wearing a Venom shirt. And it is, it's black with like a gray stencil for Venom. Yeah. I've never seen Venom. Yeah, I haven't either. I, but I don't. I've, heard it's a, I've heard it's a good movie, the new one that came out. I, so. I have, and this might offend people, I have zero desire to watch any marvel movies or any superhero like i just I'm, zero I'm not, desire i'm not offended by that at all actually okay. i think i i share that with you and here's why 
I'm so late to the party that at this point catching up for me Mm -hmm. would just be so like I'd have to do hours of homework before I went and saw a movie to know what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we watched, uh, we actually, I'll tell you what, there's a show called WandaVision that they put out, the, Hmm. the Marvel comic universe. And that was actually really good. But my wife and I, for about 50% of it, had no idea what was going on because we haven't really watched any of the, <laughs> the yeah, Marvel yeah. comic. So the whole time we were just sort of lost. So I, anytime like there's a new Marvel comic universe movie that comes out, I'm just like, I mean, that's cool. But like, mm-hmm. I would have no idea because I, I've never seen him. So at this point, it's way too late in the game to, to try to catch up. Yeah. You know? You might as well just have a, have a life or something, you know? Yeah. Might as well actually do like productive things with your time. Mm, that that was offensive to some people. And, uh, there's some people. <laughs> oh, what did you say? Well, there's you know there's people who watch for the CJ CJ CGI is that CGI uh-huh. effects yeah, 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 yeah. and all the special effects and everything. Uh-huh. And then there's people who watch for the storyline of it, and mm-hmm. because they're just super like into the the whole Marvel the characters line. and all that. Yeah. And I, I don't know the CGI like that's that's interesting, but it's kind of have you ever noticed how it kind of you kind of become desensitized to cgi oh yeah yeah you're like oh, okay that doesn't wow me or impress me anymore yeah i remember no. when we were watching like in high school we would watch like the the new star wars movies that were coming day. yeah independence day and like the lord <laughs> of the rings and stuff and we we're like whoa you know and you could see the pixels and stuff and you're like oh, yeah, yeah, is... yeah 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 but now it's kind of like oh well yeah that's it's not cool anymore. Yeah, it's if just if you ever want a good laugh go on youtube and type cgi sequences from lawnmower man Mm. in like the the early 90s and it was supposed to be the most like revolutionary cgi ever and it mm. looks terrible <laughs> you, know, you know it is pretty profound cgi skills is um have you seen the coronavirus video with the the coronavirus cell like walking down the sidewalk do you know what i'm talking about no and there's like all these like people that are like bowing down to it on the sidewalk and it keeps walking and then it comes up on this really like I think it's like a really cringy, like CGI Jesus standing there on the sidewalk, and it like he like points in its face, and then it like bows down to him. But it is so, oh it is so creepy looking. It is so creepy. You have to, you have to find it. I will it. watch that as soon as we're done recording. That is hilarious. Uh, yeah. No, I do know about uh, Kenneth Copeland blowing it away and yeah. all the remixes that came from the him blowing away the coronavirus. You've seen that. I have, yeah. Yeah. It's internet gold. Just oh, internet. my goodness. Sometimes I just get stuck in my head. Yeah. yeah. That song, yeah, the remix of it. Well, my yeah. my uh, my youngest, Micah, um, he will he will walk around and go, COVID-19. <laughs> like, you just say it like that. Like, like well, how Bro, you... the yeah. breath of God. Yeah. Like, you're five years old, and you're already mimicking <laughs> Kenneth Copeland. That's... From the state of Washington to the state of Maine. That's the best part. Cool. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, just go on YouTube and... I mean, you know, we're such hypocrites. We talk about wasting time watching Marvel Comic Universe. Then we're talking about mm. <laughs> Kenneth Copeland blowing away COVID-19 remixes on YouTube. That's not a good use of your time, but it is pretty stinking hilarious. So, uh, yeah. Wow. If only people were awake to the real issues happening in our nation. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like they were woke. You yeah. Would say. Like they, yeah. Yeah. There's just they so woke. many people asleep. Yeah. To what's really going on, and I think they just need to wake up. They need mm. to be woke, you know. Yeah, like we need a revolution of woke. I think so. I think so. Yeah. So, have you heard that term, being woke? I have. I have heard this term. Yeah, 
And uh, it's an interesting term because it implies that people who aren't this quote unquote woke are unwoke and they're somehow mm-hmm. uh, disengaged from the the real issues that are at hand. But yeah. 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 So when did you start seeing that phrase pop up mm. being woke and, and all that it implies? Oh, it's hard to pinpoint. I don't really remember. Um, I feel like it's been but, relatively recent. Yeah, in the last five years, I think I think people yeah. started posting things. Maybe I'm connected with on social media about being woke, and um, yeah, I think I think I saw that. And it's usually in connection with like um, the evils of capitalism or mm-hmm. uh, inerrant racism, and you know, in in the in the systemic, system. yeah, systemic, systemic racism. Yeah, yeah, that's a big word. Um, so it's usually in connection with that, and usually there's a lot of you know, unfortunately, a lot of virtue signaling that comes along with that, I think. And like, mm-hmm. there isn't actually like people aren't actually like, you know, throwing Molotov cocktails, thankfully, or, or doing those sorts of things that, that maybe Karl Marx would have espoused. But, um, mm-hmm. well, yeah, there's just a lot places of, they're coming close, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, but yeah, that's probably, probably in the last five years, I kind of saw an uptick of that term being used to describe this like person who is suddenly more conscious uh, of the injustices that are going on in the world around them and, and suddenly knowing exactly who to blame. And as if it's not this like really intricate and complex system that we have to yeah. take case by case, but yeah. And then along with that, there is right now, actually I heard just on the radio this morning, um, all sorts of controversy in school districts, mm-hmm. in elections, in new legislation about, this idea of critical race theory that's in the news everywhere right now, Mm -hmm. Um, specifically with schools uh, having curriculum that teaches it and then people being opposed to it. And I think people hear that on the news and people make assumptions as to what it means and what it doesn't mean. Um, But that seems to be a pretty recent thing too. I don't remember hearing anything about critical race theory five years ago, six years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. So maybe 2015, 2016, so yeah, slowly yeah. kind of creeping in. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I'd say quickly. I mean, once it, once it hit mainstream, it seems like the CRT really took off in terms of it making into, to, um, school curricula. Um, yeah, it, it's been the last couple of years. I would say it really took off and really, um, I, I think especially maybe this, this current administration is a little bit more friendly to the idea of CRT making it into, Mm-hmm. Um, mainstream, you know, curriculum or media or whatever. Um, that's, you know, it was a matter of time. I think, I think people who, um, well, which we'll probably get into, but I think it's, I personally, I think it, it has its roots in, um, there's a, there's a bigger agenda afoot that has its roots probably in more Marxist ideas, which yeah. if you, if you familiarize yourself with, with Marxism and how you get, to f- the fulfillment of Karl Marx's ideas, um, we're definitely, this is definitely like a step in the right direction if you want to get us there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so why do you think these ideas are attractive to some people? I mean, you mentioned virtue signaling mm-hmm. earlier. Unpack what that means. Well, virtue signaling is like, so you're you're signaling, right? You're like putting out a, a message, hey, I care about this, mm-hmm. but then you're just, you, here's my virtue and I'm signaling that, but it's the idea that you're really not doing anything to back that up or actually acting on that. Right. Um, so it's like, 
you know, the ultimate virtue signaling, like going to like the uh, spending thousands of dollars going to like the, the Haitian orphanage and posting a lot of photos of you standing around, you know, and like, Oh look, I'm, right, 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 I'm right. doing something and I'm showing that I'm a virtuous person without really, you know, really doing something about yeah. that or, uh, but you know, then there's, then there's lesser forms of virtue signaling where you just got, you know, you're posting repeating articles that are posted online and right. Um, but meanwhile, you're living counter to that. So you're living in, you know, you know, uh, uh, you're, you're drinking your, your $6 <laughs> Starbucks drink or yeah. on your $1,200 laptop and then saying down with capitalism. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a very hypocritical side to it. Yeah. So that might be why some of these ideas are attractive. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there might be other people that are genuine and authentic and they're not just doing it to try to virtue signal. Maybe they actually think this is the right thing. They actually mm-hmm. do care about these issues. Yeah. Why do you think that these ideas of, being woke and critical race theory, why, why is it attractive to some other types of people? Uh, I think because you have people who are legitimately um, wanting, you have people who have legitimately experienced injustice, or mm-hmm. you have people who are impoverished and want uh, to, to get out of poverty, um, but, but they uh, don't necessarily want to do what it, what it really takes to change their family tree um, in other words, they're they're looking for maybe a shortcut to to get themselves in a more comfortable situation, right? And uh, you know, one of the most fascinating people you can study in history is is Booker T. Washington. Um, here's a black American who's who's a son of slaves, um, who actually said, you know, hey, if you if you teach uh, freed slaves and blacks in America um, how to work and how how to how to teach them a trade, basically. Um, that's better than taking from the gentry class of America and giving to them. Because what you're going to do is create this like competitive system. You're going to create a lot of uh, animosity between these two groups of people. And Booker T. Washington was big on education, big on you know uh, learning skills and, and trade. Um, and doing that, you know, kind of, on your own and gaining that independence and you take more pride in that, he would say, but, hmm. um, he, he got a lot of, he got a lot of flack for that, from that, that, um, yeah. position. And yeah. So I think, I think there's people who just, you have the haves and you have the have nots and the people who are the have nots want to say, well, I'm in the have not category because of people hmm. exploiting me. Therefore I need a strong man to come in and take from the haves and right. give that to the have nots and lift me out of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. So, you know, that's grounded really in a desire to see change, to see some sort of change. Mm-hmm. So someone looks at the problems facing any certain group of people and says, man, something's got to change. Mm-hmm. And so for them, this is the path to that change. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And I think I think some would look beyond that and say, this is a means to an end that, in other words, mm-hmm. we're going to use racial injustice and inequality um or not just even race but you know just class inequality and use it to achieve the ideas of Karl Marx and i think these are people probably in the upper echelons of the CRT movement that that are pushing for that like they consciously yeah. know these are tenets of marxism and we need to be moving us towards that yeah okay and so we, if you if you're hearing us go ahead Oh, I was going to say, and we can, you know, when I say Marxism, that might not sound bad to people, but we can talk 
I think we did we talk later or earlier in a prior episode yeah, about yeah, yeah, Marxism. Yeah, yeah. Well, how, yeah, what I was going to say is we're going to unpack some of these terms because we're yeah. saying CRT, we're saying woke, we're saying Marxism. And maybe if you're listening to this, you're going, man, I have no idea what you guys are talking about with any mm-hmm. of these. Well, we're going to define some of these terms. We're going to unpack these and we're going to look and really examine each of these from really a biblical worldview and just kind of say, okay, number one, does any follower of Jesus need to embrace these ideas? Um, and then number two, like, do these ideas even work? Like, does history support that they work? Does logic support that they work? Does common sense support that they work? Um, and hopefully maybe give some people's clarity about when you hear this on the news or when you hear this term, this might be what it's in reference to, and this might be kind of a history of that. Obviously, we're yeah. not experts on this. We're not claiming to be experts on this. Um, we just want to give some clarity to this. So, Because, it, I mean, it's so easy, I think, to um, really just read headlines and latch on to headlines without doing the necessary work of seeing the nuances with these issues. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because I think there's a lot of people on one side of this that when they talk about critical race theory and talk about you know being woke, they're like, well, absolutely, we need to change things. Things are really messed up. I mean, why mm-hmm. would you not want to be that? Are you racist, right? Yeah. And I think that's a w- super oversimplification of that because we're not saying that racism is justifiable. Not at all. We're just saying that this approach probably has less to do with racism than it's being mm-hmm. uh, presented to be. Yeah, yeah. We come right out and and condemn any form of racism. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I know that I speak for you as well, Josh, that economic injustice saddens me and mm-hmm. any form of injustice saddens me. Um, but I think I think hopefully the, the point of this episode is going to be to say, you know, CRT is not the magic pill that's going to get us there. And we no. might actually find ourselves exacerbating the issue. Right. And then I think there's the other side of it that when they hear anyone talking about how racism is still around, mm-hmm. they go, oh, geez, give me a break. What are you, some race-baiting progressive libtard, right? <laughs> and and mm-hmm. and I'm using that word not to say that's a good word to use. I'm using that word because I've heard people say that. Mm-hmm. When you're like, wow, racism is around and that's terrible. And people just flat out deny it and accuse you of being someone that believes in CRT just because you say, well, racism is still around in some forms. And um, I think that's, again, a, a vast oversimplification of a very nuanced and maybe even complex issue. So, mm-hmm. all right, so let's talk about it. Uh, so this idea of being woke, I think it may have started um as a phrase that progressives used in like a, a positive sense, and really the root of it can be found in a 1962 essay published by the New York Times called If You're Woke, You, you Dig It. <laughs> I just think that's hilarious. <laughs> a guy named William Melvin Kelly. And then in 2008, there was a song called Master Teacher. I just listened to it before we started recording by uh, Irakai Badu. And uh, there's a phrase in that song about being woke. Um, again, that was in 2008, but in the recent year or so, I think I have exclusively heard this used by conservatives in a very pejorative and insulting manner mm-hmm. uh, to really take a, a stab at people who are involved in social justice movements. So it 
used to be more of a term that progressives owned, but now it's kind of being used by conservatives to insult progressives, kind of like the term snowflake, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so what it originally meant was just to be conscious of injustice in society. So you were asleep to all these injustices, and now you woke up, right? So you're awake. You're especially attentive to the issues going on. Specifically, you're attentive to racial discrimination and all the issues surrounding it. So that's kind of where critical race theory is involved kind of in the woke movement. Like you understand that this is not just a, hey, there's some racist people out there. You start to see, no, man, it's not just there's racist people out there. The entire system is rigged. Everything Mm -hmm. is racist. Everybody is racist. The whole concept of America is racist. Mm -hmm. And if that sounds like I'm exaggerating this position, I'm most certainly not. And we'll dig Mm -hmm. into that here in a minute. Well, yeah. And the CRT movement says that there, within every transracial interaction, there is inherent racism Mm -hmm. in that interaction somewhere. Yeah. And we'll, we'll unpack that there in a minute. So that's kind of the big, um, the big issue that somebody in kind of this social justice movement is is attentive to is racial discrimination. The second is someone who is in this kind of social justice movement or, or woke is especially attentive to discrimination against the LGBTQ plus movement. Or I was trying, <laughs> I'm putting the show notes to figure out what is the most accurate uh, acronym <laughs> And this is what I found, and I'm, it's probably outdated, even though I put this in the show notes two days ago, LGBTQ2S. Hmm. So that's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, two-spirit. And I didn't know what two-spirit is. Two-spirit is a cultural identity used by indigenous people who have both masculine and feminine spirit. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so. Um, and then others, I think, just say plus as meaning there can be an infinite number of sexual orientations but Mm. somebody who is in this movement is kind of leading the charge to say that people who are lgbtq have been discriminated against and are continuing to be discriminated against and society is set up in a way that they are systematically and continuously discriminated against and so um you know rights for trans people have been a huge focus of the Biden administration so far. So it seems like the Obama administration was very big on um, same-sex union. Mm -hmm. And even in the first few months of the Biden administration, that was trans rights. And so we've already seen bills in Canada passed, legislation passed that says that if you misgender somebody, um, that could be considered a hate crime or microviolence. And so somebody that is really kind of leading the charge basically says these people are being discriminated against in a horrible way. We got to, we got to make right the wrongs um, that's being done against this community. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where uh, Jordan Peterson kind of gained his popularity, albeit he didn't really, he wasn't really looking for it, but he was basically in Canada and saying, Hey, this is going, this is like, this is going to a bad place. You know, this, this mm-hmm. idea of like hate speech being on the books as a law, um, does not end well. Right. Um, but he has some, some really interesting things to say about this, this issue of 
you know, critical race theory, all, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't agree with everything, you know, Jordan Jordan Peterson says, but he has some, some very common sense things to say about this issue. Yeah, he does. He does. Especially the, uh, whole legislation against you cannot, Mm -hmm. if you misgender someone, if you refuse to call them by the pronoun they give you, then you're going to get arrested. Like he's like, that's, that's that's absurd. Like that's a whole, that's a, that's like Stalinism. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. Like speech can equal violence. Yeah. So that's, um, you get into some pretty dangerous waters when you're talking about that, but people Mm -hmm. that are in the woke movement are, are for that, those kinds of legislation because they say these people have been discriminated against and they've had violence against them. And so we've got to make right those wrongs through legislation that, you know, makes that illegal basically. Um, someone who is woke is especially attentive, attentive to discrimination against women. So, um, we are now in what is considered third wave feminism. Mm -hmm. So there's the first wave, which was like voting rights. Second wave, which is like women can go into the workforce and have the same type of rights as men. And then third wave feminism is a whole nother movement in of itself. Anything resembling traditional women's roles or anything resembling traditional femininity, including even like the family, like this understanding of a mom and a dad in a house third wave feminism is kind of bent on challenging that and, and mm-hmm. really destroying that. Um, there's a huge focus on abortion being a reproductive right for women. So that if someone is opposed to abortion, they automatically hate women. Mm-hmm. And um, people at these pro-choice rallies will have all these women that are dressed up like the uh, women from a handmaiden tale. I don't know if you've ever seen that show on Hulu. It was a Margaret Atwood short story, but basically saying that if you don't if you don't support abortion, you want to send us back into the dark ages by not giving women the right to choose. Um, and so, someone who is woke is extremely uh, focused on this discrimination against women. Um, so the thought process behind all of this, being being aware of the discrimination against uh, certain racial groups, against LGBTQs, against women, is that all of Western society has been founded by people in positions of power and privilege, specifically white men, and therefore Western society is by nature systematically discriminatory. So these oppressed groups, which would be black and brown people, LGBTQ, and women, these oppressed groups can never and will never overcome their disadvantages until these structures are destroyed and replaced. So it essentially takes all of humanity and divides them into two groups. There are the oppressed, this is white males, and the oppressors, this is everybody else. And if that sounds a little bit familiar, you should have learned this in like ninth grade history class um, because Karl Marx wrote that there are two classes of people in every society. There's the bourgeoisie, which is the ruling class, those are the oppressors, and the proletariat, the working class who are the oppressed. And so you fall into one of those categories. Mm-hmm. You, you can't be in between. You're either the oppressed or the, you're the oppressors. You're either the solution or you're the problem. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Are you the victim or you're the persecutor? So when we hear things like dismantle the patriarchy, redistribute wealth, defund the police, tax the rich, or some uh, Bernie Sanders tattoos were eat the rich, which I just thought was interesting. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, no other word for that. Um, that's all grounded in this understanding that these institutions, that is capitalism, that is law enforcement, that is even the, the nuclear family, all of those are by nature irredeemably discriminatory. And that white men are the problem, and white men need to be removed from all positions of influence, authority, and power, and they need to be replaced by um, basically minority groups. I know that sounds crazy, but that's, mm-hmm. that's essentially what all communist and socialist revolutions call for, but it was the bourgeoisie being replaced by the proletariat, the ruling class being replaced by the working class, the capitalist mm-hmm. being replaced by the, the working man, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So according to kind of this philosophy, um, the only way equity is possible, the only way equality is possible in any society is for the hegemonic masculine structures to be abolished that's the traditional family, that's capitalism, that's societal institutions. And for those who have been oppressed, that's those who are black, brown, female, or LGBTQ to take over. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. And, we, you know, we should talk about why why is Marxism not a good goal? Like, why, why like, is this going to heal racial divisions in the United States of America or it, divisions of inequality or injustice is going to heal that or is it going to exacerbate it? Um, and my position is that no one with, with Marxism, let's say like if you really want full blown Marxism, no one wins in that situation. Um, Marx never lived long enough to see his ideas actually implemented in real world scenarios. Yeah. Um, anytime they have been attempted to be implemented, it's been an utter failure that's created more death than all the wars of human history combined, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to, it wouldn't end well for us. And if you're not a student of history, you're going to either have to trust me on that or study history. Yeah. Um, or just read the book animal farm. Yeah. By George yeah. Orwell. <laughs> yeah. You know, all it takes communism in itself, like Karl Marx had some good ideas. What he didn't take into account with his, his, his plan was the fact that, there are going to be evil people with lots of money and bigger guns who will say in appearance only, yeah, I like that plan. Let's go along with it. And then hijack that plan and use it to their own, right. their own, uh, benefit or, yeah. or they'll, let's say they'll be part of the plan. And then that absolute power could then corrupts them. Yeah. Um, because you do need an elite to take and basically reset the entire societal, uh, mm-hmm. system and that elite then becomes corrupt and then very violent. So Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think what's interesting is when you kind of understand the philosophy behind, you know, these social justice movements or wokeness, if you want to call it that, you understand why certain things that haven't historically been understood as violence, like misgendering someone's pronoun, right, are considered violence. And then rioting in the streets is not considered violence. Mm-hmm. Because violence is only violence is it, you're only guilty of committing violence if you belong to the wrong group, right? 
If you belong to the right group, then your violence is justified because that's a means to an end because that's a revolution. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But if you if you misgender someone's pronoun, then you're considered the oppressor. You're considered you're discriminatory. You're gonna you're we're gonna punish you. We're gonna make you pay, right? And so um it's just a very it erases objective truth. Truth becomes mm-hmm completely dependent on whose truth you're talking about. This is exactly why there's this idea of live your truth or whose truth, you know, or mm-hmm. we need to elevate this. We need we need more black voices or we need more LGBTQ voices or we need more trans voices or anything like that or more women's voices because it has nothing to do with what is objective absolute truth. It has everything to do with who who is speaking, who is doing the action. So if this group goes out and burns a building down and throws Molotov cocktails through the windows – well, no justice, no violence, or whatever the f- slogan is, right? Or what's mm-hmm. that? No justice, no peace, or whatever? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's kind of talk more specifically about critical race theory. Um, again, we said it's, it's really developed out of Marxism, and it's grounded in several key assumptions. Um, Marxism kind of suggested and theorized that capitalism is a faulty system that will always lead to injustice. And critical race theory basically makes that same assumption about American government, law, culture, and society. And the assumption is, or the the theory is, that all American government, all American law, all American culture, and all American society is inherently and inescapably and irredeemably racist. So everyone, even those who have never had a racist view, racist thought, racist action, or spoken a racist word, everyone perpetuates racism by supporting those structures. Um, And in critical race theory, there's no such thing as a non-racist. So you are either racist or you're anti-racist. Hmm. And to be an anti-racist means you recognize that you were racist and now you're actively combating it. What's funny, though, um, you can be a non-racist if you belong to a oppressed group. But if you belong to an oppressor group, you're either racist or anti-racist. Hmm. And so, like, like what's, the, what's the end goal with that, you know? So, like, you and I are both white males, <laughs> you know? So what's, what's the end goal? The end goal is revolution. I mean, like, what, right. what happens? So, so basically, you just turn the tables and you just begin mm-hmm. to oppress those who you say are the oppressors. Yeah. So, Be- because just, the thought is they deserve it, right? Yeah. They've been at the they've been the ones holding the bullwhip and enslaving people for so long. So now we're going to turn the tables and we're going to hold the bullwhip and we're going to make you pay for what you did to us. Hmm. So it's a, it's a it's a vital issue, I think that. I think uh, a guy, thinker and author, um, Kenny Xu, he's a Chinese-American. He said um, in his book, Inconvenient, The Inconvenient Minority, he said that we have never, as, as humanity, never been so fixated on race since the times of the 1930s Germany or South African apartheid. Like, it basically... When you get this level of fixation on race and inequality, um, 
and you approach it the wrong way, bad things will happen. Yeah. So it's, it's a really important issue that we be engaged in um, and, and speak out against. Now, we're speaking out against inequality on one side of our mouth, like that's an, an injustice, but we we don't want injustice to be cured by um, by the wrong by the wrong means because that's just going to create more injustice. Yeah, just like you know, eventually, white males or just white people in general that are somehow you know like inherently racist, quote unquote, they will have to be oppressed in order for the plans of CRT to really come into fruition. So you're just creating right. more injustice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, and that's the thing is if you look at this 20 steps down the road, you're like, well, well, doesn't that just mean that it basically you take the system that's now and you just replace it with other people in that oppressing class? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes, but we're, we're not there yet. So it doesn't matter yet, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So according to this view, the, the personal perception of the oppressed uh, their narrative that outweighs the actions or intents of others. So if you make me feel discriminated against, mm. even if you didn't mean to, even if you didn't intend to, you oppressed me. If you made me feel like you were oppressing me because of my race or my sexual orientation or the fact that I'm a woman, it doesn't matter if you didn't mean to, it doesn't matter if, it was a, you know just a, a stupid thing you said. That means by nature you are a misogynist or you are a racist or you are a, a homophobe, right, or a bigot. Um, but what this group says is, is the oppressed groups, the, the black and brown people, will never overcome disadvantages until all these racist structures are replaced. And, and they can never change out of altruism. They can never change out of... Um, you know, inner cities having more family-based initiatives and education and, um, you know, any of the things that we've historically said, these are civil rights, right? Change doesn't happen in certain class groups through that. Now change happens through um, vast sweeping legislation that enforces this with an iron boot. And the application of certain laws and fundamental rights have to be different based on the race or class group of the individuals involved. So what that means is if a young black man jumps the police and goes for his gun and that police officer defends himself and shoots that young black man, then that's going to be much different if a white man does the same thing. Because historically the police have pressed young black man so now because of that (laughs) if there is an honest uh law enforcement incident where doesn't matter the race of that person the police responded the way that any police have been trained to respond the application of how that case is handled has to be handled differently because that perpetrator was black does that make sense Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm which is, a, I mean, it gets into some really, really, really messy water when you start going there. Yeah, and I think that the hardest thing, too, is, like, discerning. You know, we get these, um, you hear these stories, especially with, like, police shootings or something. You hear these stories, and then you get one side of it. And, the, yep. you know, it's it's really tough to have the discernment to say, okay, wait a second. I'm getting one side of this, 
and I need to wait for more information that comes out. But sometimes that information never does come out or it's, mm-hmm. it's like sequestered or something. And you're like, but yeah, in the meantime, people's emotions are whipped up into like a frenzy uh, that this is a great injustice or this didn't, you know, and don't get me wrong. I mean, there's obviously some times where police are just wrong and they act, yeah. you know, unjust. But then there's sometimes where the media wants you to see just one side of this because it furthers this agenda of critical race theory. So it yeah. fits in that narrative. And so they're going to show you that one side. Well, and there's a difference between saying, yes, there are some racist police officers and then saying the entire institution of policing is racist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So one of them says we need to hold individuals accountable for their discrimination, and the other says we need to completely dismantle the system because the system in and of itself is discriminatory, mm-hmm. which is a like incredible leap of logic to say that a law is discriminatory like a law and there might be discriminatory laws like we could talk about stop and frisk laws how those were piloted in kansas city and how one could make the case that they did unjustly discriminate against people of color but a true just and equitable law is a law regardless of whether or not you're black brown gay straight trans bi man woman you know what i'm saying like it Mm -hmm. it should just be equitable itself and and where there might be discrimination that's not on the law or the system itself that might be on the one who has been charged to enforce that law Mm -hmm. so individual culpability goes out the window it's not individuals that we're holding accountable for their discrimination it is now this this law this this system this institution is irredeemably racist and we got to dismantle it and start over and that's where this gets into some really different waters than we've ever been before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vadi Bakum, uh, pastor, author, um, theologian, and seminary professor, he wrote a book. It's a really, really good book. I haven't read all of it, but I've read some parts of it and listened to some of his lectures on it. It's called Fault Lines, The Social Justice Movement and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe. And he really examines how CRT is moving into churches, mm. which it is at a lot faster rate than I think we think. But he gives four tenets of critical race theory, like understanding it. And the first tenet of critical race theory is that racism is normative. So racism is normal. Racism is everywhere. Racism is unavoidable. Everyone is racist, even if they don't know it. That's the first tenet of critical race theory. Unless, of course, you're black or brown, then you're not. Uh, The second is interest convergence. And what that means is white people are morally incapable and unable to take righteous action against racism unless it converges with their own individual interests. Hmm. So there has never been, according to critical race theory, a purely virtuous white person who has helped in any way, shape, or form in any movement towards civil rights. Hmm. The only reason that they would is if it benefited them. Which I didn't think you're just spitting in the face of all these like heroes in the civil rights movement that would march across bridges in Birmingham and yeah, you know what I'm saying and like sit in diners and get thrown out of diners and they would do so with solidarity of black brothers and sisters and you're just saying well you didn't mean that you're only doing that for yourself you you don't really like equity and justice and civil rights yeah yeah I would like to see them 
say that in the face of <laughs> William uh, Wilberforce. Yeah, yeah. Died lonely and broke because he spent all his money on lobbying for the abolition of slavery. Yeah. Uh, the third is anti-objectivity, meaning there is no such thing as objective reality or absolute truth. So the only thing that matters is the narratives and stories of people groups. So what that means is the personal perception and narrative of the oppressed outweighs the actions and the intents of other people. So if you misgendered me, right? Let's just say in some universe, um, I decided that I'm a woman, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm six foot three, I'm 240 pounds, I've got huge broad shoulders. Um, even if I shaved my face every day, I'd have a five o'clock shadow before lunch, right? Mm-hmm. So you said, hey, sir, could, can I hold the door open for you, right? And I got mad, and I perceived that you hated me. According to this philosophy, you did hate me. Hmm. It didn't matter that you made an honest mistake, and you just, out of your own ignorance, called me a man. I feel like a woman, and you should have not done that. And so because I felt like that, then that means that my personal perception of being oppressed outweighs your action and intent. Hmm. And so that's a very, very, very critical distinction of understanding what qualifies as racism. And then the last tenet of racism, according to Vadi Bakum, which, by the way, he's a black guy, is the social construction of knowledge. And what that means is we can only know things when we have discussion within groups of certain types of people. So what that means is like when you see commercials or you see all sorts of movements of saying we've got to elevate black voices or we have to elevate female voices or we have to elevate LGBT voices, um, you can't really know an issue. You can't really know a truth objectively because there's no such thing as objective truth. If there is not a voice about an issue or representation from an oppressed group, you can't really know that issue. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I like the first half of that. Like, I, I really believe if you want to get to to know homeless people in your community, go and sit and have lunch with them out at a park and talk oh, to absolutely. them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, elevate their voices as being somehow uh, more authoritative than that of someone who isn't homeless. It mm-hmm. just means if I really want to get to know them and understand their struggle— understand what it's like to be a minority in America that I, I should, you know, really get to know them and right, have conversations, right. have deep conversations that are based out of love and, and based out of a genuine interest right? to know, you know, Hey, is, is there systemic racism in America? What have you experienced growing up? And yeah. what have your, what has your struggle been? Um, yeah, it's not so, a bad thing to do. But. No, not at all. I think that's actually a good thing. If you want to understand the issue, I think mm-hmm. though that CRT takes it a step further and says, if you are, part of the oppressed or the oppressor group, you have no authority to speak on these issues at all. Mm, yeah, exactly. Your your job is to, to be quiet and hear other voices speaking into it because your experience has been one of privilege. And so because your experience has been mm. one of privilege, you're, you have no voice at all in this. You are the back of the pack in terms of speaking. You cannot speak about race. You cannot, and, and there's, 
nothing that you're supposed to do if you if you want to be an anti-racist. You've basically got to be quiet and you've got to elevate black voices and you got to get behind black voices or brown voices or LGBTQ voices or female voices. Hmm. Um, there's a really good article I recommend for everybody to read by a journalist named Barry Weiss. She used to write for the New York Times. Now she writes for um, she writes for a lot of places. But um, this one particular article my brother-in-law sent me. It's from commentary.org. And uh, really, I mean, just very good journalism talks about this issue. And it's called, We Got Here Because of Cowardice, We Get Out with Courage. And so she writes about CRT, critical race theory. And this is what she says about it. I just thought this was really, really good. She says, in this ideology, you are guilty for the sins of your fathers. In other words, you are not you. You are only a mere avatar of your race or your religion or your class. That's why third graders in Cupertino, California, were asked to rate themselves in terms of their power and privilege in third grade. In this system, we are all placed neatly on a spectrum of privilege to oppressed. We are ranked somewhere on this spectrum in different categories, race, gender, sexual orientation, and class. Then we are given an overall score based on the sum of these rankings. Having privilege means that your character and your ideas are tainted. This is why one high schooler in New York tells me, Students in his school are told, if you are white and male, you are second in line to speak. This is considered a normal and necessary redistribution of power. Racism has been redefined. It is no longer about discrimination based on the color of someone's skin. Racism is any system that allows for disparate or disparate outcomes between racial groups. If disparity is present, as the high priest of this ideology... Ibram X. Kendi has explained, racism is present. According to this totalizing new view, we are all either racist or anti-racist. To be a good person and not a bad person, you must be anti-racist. There is no neutrality. There's no such thing as not racist. Most important in this revolution, skeptics of any part of this racial ideology are recast as heretics. Those who do not abide by every single aspect of its creed are tarnished as bigots, subjected to boycotts, and their work to political litmus tests. The Enlightenment, as the critic Edward Rothstein has put it, has been replaced by the exorcism. What we call cancel culture is really the justice system of this revolution, and the goal of the cancellations is not merely to punish the people being canceled. The goal is to send out a message to everyone. Step out of line, and you're next. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's frightening. <laughs> that's, that's frightening, yeah. I know. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting thing she says, that um, racism is any system that allows for desperate outcomes. So historically, equality has meant that there is equality of opportunity for everyone. But now CRT says, no, there has to be equality of outcome for everyone. Hmm. Right, So if I'm hosting a baseball tournament and every kid gets to be on a team where they get to play in the game and they're given the same number of uh, resources to compete and win, obviously there's going to be winners and losers, right? Mm -hmm. That's equality and that's just life. Everybody has an opportunity to be a winner. CRT says, no, unless everyone is a winner – that's discriminatory. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's a that's a crazy world to live in. That, you mean that's? I just don't know how you. I don't know how you do that, right? I mean, how how do you make sure that there's a quality of outcome for every single person in a black or brown group? I mean, you can you can provide, and I'm not to say that we don't have a quality of opportunity. We're we're we've made a lot of strides towards that direction, but in some pockets of our country, we don't have a quality of opportunity for every group. But we're getting there. But to say the the goal is not a quality of opportunity. The the goal now is a quality of outcome. And if you don't have a quality of outcome, then there's a racist system there. I just think that's false. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's just it's going to create you know this like paranoia first of all between different people and and. Like you said, when you're you're walking in the door and the guy says, you know, good afternoon, sir. And you're like, oh, you misgendered me. That's that's like you're going to create in that person paranoia. Like, do should I address anyone's gender? Should I you know, say yes, ma'am or no, ma'am or something like that? Right. Am I going to offend someone because I can't really tell what gender they are? You create this paranoia and then you're going to create this animosity between different groups of people, which I guess is the goal, you know, really when you. When you get down to it, you know, the, the goal is to create that animosity, that class struggle and consciousness, and then that, that violent overthrow of the oppressive class. But, um, yeah, I just don't, this is, people listening, this is, this is not going to end well, you know, in the United States of America. Yeah. Well, and here's, I think, the concerning part, and Vadi Bakum writes about it. I think there's a lot of Christians that see racism in America, which, by the way, is real. Real racism is a part of our history, and sadly, it's still around in some pockets. Okay, so we have to acknowledge that. And there are good Jesus-loving people that see that, and it breaks their heart. And so they want to help. They want to do something. They want to they be Jesus, and they want to respond like Jesus to these issues because they've heard from their friends and their brothers and sisters how they've been treated because of their race and their heart's broken. They're like, man, I don't want to do something. And so what happens, though, is they, they sadly endorse this philosophy that is, at its core, not biblical, not Christian. Um, And they get sucked into this. And yeah. that's sad. Yeah, they have good intentions sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think about some of the things that I said you know, last, what was it May and June after the George Floyd incident? I mean, I, I saw that and that broke my heart. And man, there was, I was watching some friends of mine who were black and they they were just like broken hearted by this. And so I really just wanted to do everything I could to be compassionate and, and speak to this. And I think I, I said some things that unknowingly were kind of influenced by CRT. Mm. I didn't mean to. Mm-hmm. I just said things that I thought were, um, you know, I, I think I said something about systemic racism. And what I thought I meant by that is that it's widespread. Mm-hmm. But when the CRT movement talks about systemic racism, racism, they're not talking about widespread. They're talking about the institution of policing is by itself a racist institution that needs to be mm-hmm. abolished, right? Mm-hmm. So I said some dumb things, not not actually knowing what I was saying, simply because I wanted to be compassionate and empathetic towards you know, friends of mine and brothers and sisters in Christ that were hurting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how a lot of Christians fall into CRT. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's how yeah. they get there. Does that yeah, make sense? From a place of, yeah, from a place of compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, like a lack of knowing how to really help a situation. Well, and I think a lack of knowing what CRT actually teaches too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the the greatest um, tools of, of I, I would say, upper echelon Marxists that are maybe maybe influencing the academic world especially or even in, in our own government one of their greatest tools and assets is our short-term memory on what Marxism is and the dangers of it. Right. Um, yeah. And we just kind of fall into that. We think, okay, you know, I, I want, the, I want the have nots to have more. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for them. And so this ideology promotes that and it promotes leveling the playing field. And yeah, there are filthy rich people out there that they make more money than they can shake a stick at. And there are people who are really hurting living on the streets and are really struggling. So naturally, as humans, as compassionate humans, we say, hey, how can we level this out, you know? But um, I'm telling you right now, as a student of history, when you allow the state to take from the haves and give to the have-nots, you're opening a Pandora's box that will never be closed. And it's yeah. is, it's not going to end well. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, making government and political revolution the savior to eradicate the issue of racism in the human heart mm-hmm. is probably the least biblical and the least Christian way mm-hmm. to think about these things. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You know, well, let's think about like the Christian response to CRT, right? So let's examine critical race theory and wokeness against the backdrop of scripture. So the problem, and the biggest problem, is Christianity teaches that there is such a thing as objective truth and reality. So truth and reality are not simply defined by a social construction of knowledge or your viewpoint or my viewpoint. Um, Objective truth and reality are defined by God's word and his truth. So an incident happens, there is a, a right and there is a wrong. There is not a well, because of this oppressed person's narrative, this is what defines truth. No, that's that's not biblical. There is right, there is wrong. Mm-hmm. So that's the first issue. That's the first part of that that's flawed. The second issue is God's word indicates individual culpability for what God holds us as humans accountable for, not mm-hmm. systemic or societal sense. So in other words... I'm not a racist just because I'm white and my great-great-great-great-grandfather owned slaves. That's unbiblical. That's untrue. I would be a racist if I was guilty of committing racist things or holding on to racist uh, ideologies or committing actions that were unkind, that were discriminatory based on someone's race. That's what's making me a racist, not because I'm born into a certain class or people group. And Ezekiel 18.20 says this, and this is, this is very, 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 very important for us to get. It says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, but the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's so good. Yeah, so if you are 
racist, then you're accountable to God for your actions. I, I, I can't speak to what my great-great-great-great-grandfather did 100 years ago. I wasn't there. I didn't have any. <laughs> mm-hmm. So saying that, like, you you have an original sin of racism that's it's irredeemable. You can't be justified. You can't be forgiven for that. That is so anti-gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very unbiblical. Yeah. Uh, the third thing is, and we've said this, um, yes, racism in America has resulted in shame and justice and at some points even terrible violence. And we have to acknowledge that's real. Um, there is a horrible, sinful, wicked, evil history of racism in America that's part of our history. And that's painful and that's real and that breaks my heart to think about. Um, sadly, that's still around in some pockets. Um, I live in a very rural community, as much as many people here say that, you know, they're not racist. I've heard some very racist comments and some very racist ideologies, and that breaks my heart, and that's sin, and that's wicked. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that America is a racist institution on the whole, that it was founded as a racist nation. And that's what critical race theory essentially teaches. Um, and that goes against everything that Martin Luther King Jr. spoke on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Because he said, we've come to cash the promissory note that the founders of this nation promised us. They said that all men were created equal. And we're saying, mm-hmm. you said that, and now we're here to say that's not being lived up to. So Martin Luther King Jr. was calling America to live up to the ideals that she was founded on. The critical race theory says that Martin Luther King Jr. was lying. Mm-hmm. America wasn't founded on principles of equity and equality. America needs to be torn down. Hmm. So I think that's untrue, especially if you study history. Um, every bit of social and societal change that came about in America that led to more equality, whether that's women's rights or that's the Emancipation Proclamation, or that's the Civil Rights Movement, that was all founded in this understanding that America was founded as a place where all men are created equal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this, so there isn't more equal than others. There's, right. They're just equal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the next problem from a biblical worldview with critical race theory and wokeness is that the Bible says in Jeremiah 17.9 that the heart is deceitful, and wicked above all things who can know it. So what that means is there is no law you can ever pass. There's no social, political, societal, or civil revolution that will ever take place that will ever eradicate the issue of racism in the human heart. Um, We can never pass a law that says everybody has to be loving now. (laughs) Right? And the law is there so everybody just loves each other. Right? You can't pass enough legislation to eradicate racism or misogyny or homophobia. That's because Mm -hmm. our biggest problem is not that we don't have just and equitable laws. Our biggest problem is that we have sin in our hearts. Mm. And the other thing the gospel teaches, and this this stands in stark contrast to critical race theory, is real racial reconciliation can only come about 
when human beings accept the offer of Christ to be remade into a new creation within his church. And then when we're remade, we're, we're regenerated, we're born again, our identity in Christ matters more than us belonging to a racial category or ethnicity. Because in Galatians 3.28, it says there is neither Jew nor Greek. That's somebody who's in a racial category. Mm-hmm. There is neither, neither slave nor free. That's someone in a, um, a certain class system. There's neither male nor female. That's someone in a certain gender. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, the gospel invites you to put your identity in Christ before you put your identity in being black, brown, white, or anything else. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, and I think people kind of misinterpret that verse sometimes and mean like there's no difference between those. Yeah. There's no, there's, there's no distinguishing between those. That's a false interpretation of that verse. What he's sure. saying, like like you just nailed it, is you put your identity in the risen Messiah more so than you put your identity in those things. And yeah, if we as the body of Christ in the United States of America and the Western world did that, uh, I think we would we would make some serious inroads in combating racism or inequality in the United States of America if we did that. Yeah, and ultimately, like, the critical question we have to ask is, what is God's solution to the injustices and equities that we see around us? So if God's solution is that all the injustice that we have around us, we as followers of Jesus, we have to destroy all patriarchal, cisgendered, white authority structures and replace them with oppressed minority groups, if that's God's solution, then... Why would Jesus come and give us all these commands and give us this path to have our hearts remade and then point to the hope of the kingdom when all injustice is going to be erased in the kingdom? Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that God's approach for social justice and his solution to social justice is us having our hearts transformed, and then when our hearts are transformed, God writes his law in our hearts, and we want to obey his law, and this is what he said in Deuteronomy 10, care for the poor, marginalized and oppressed, and afflicted out of a place of compassion and love, mm. not because of a government mandate or a legislation or a desire to atone for your whiteness. Jesus says, care for the least of these, love your neighbor as yourself, love your enemy, pray for those who curse you, do good to those who do your harm, turn the other cheek, walk an extra mile if someone forces you walk a mile, defend the defenseless and help those who are marginalized, that's Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Give willingly and gladly your money and resources to the poor. And really, like, this approach is not looking to the government to be Savior, but rather looking to Christ to bring his kingdom about in our own lives and how we respond to people and how we deal with people, and then also looking to the coming kingdom when all these things will be completely eradicated. Like, that's never going to happen this side of eternity. It doesn't matter what revolution that you instate socially or politically or like that's never going to happen because of the wickedness of the human heart it just replaces you know like we said earlier one group will then become part of the oppressed while another group then becomes part of the oppressors mm-hmm. so it, it doesn't fix the problem it just basically shuffles the deck mm-hmm. yeah yeah very true so um there's a George Orwell quote. Gabe, why don't you read that George Orwell quote as we kind of yeah. close up? 
So the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those that speak it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really tough. I mean, yeah, you look at the example of Christ as he's speaking, you know, and teaching. Many of the things he said did not fit the narrative of that day, and he was marginalized for it. Um, yeah, I think I think what better time to hold on to the objective truth of God's word um, in this time of confusion and you know disarray of identity and yeah um, inequality. Yeah, I think there's going to come a point when this radical message of CRT and the woke revolution is going to collide with the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Hmm. Um, I think we're already there. I think that's what concerns me about so many churches and Christians that are embracing CRT because they want to be compassionate Mm -hmm. is they're forgetting that the truth of the gospel kind of contradicts it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think the nuttier and crazier this stuff gets, the more committed we have to be to be truth speakers. Yeah. Even if that means people. Truth livers as well, you know? Yeah. Like living that out and, and really displaying that. Yeah, yep. you're absolutely right. And being being uh courageous in that, but also humble is important. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, here's the thing, like listening to our voices right now are not gonna be Harvard professors or people at UCLA or students, no. you know, at any any university in the United States of America that, that has leftist leanings listening to us right now are people who are attending a local church or reading their Bibles or, you know, trying to raise a family and, and they're just kind of listening to this podcast in chunks. Well, what I have to say to you is don't buy into the, the Republican slogans and the Republican sound bites and, and you kind of preface that in, in earlier in the podcast, Josh, like don't, 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 resort to to using um slander um to fight this instead resort to using your life as a testimony of how you are helping the marginalized and how you are using your resources to lift people up out of poverty how you are being a father to the fatherless Mm -hmm. you do that and don't resort to don't 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 fall into the political trap that this has become yeah And, and don't assume that people that are black or brown or even progressive are CRT warriors simply because of the color of their skin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very, very, very important thing. Like to just look at somebody and say, wow, you, you, you say black lives matter on your Facebook. That must mean that you are a social justice warrior that thinks I'm racist. Well, maybe not. Maybe it just means that they don't understand what the BLM organization actually stands for, and maybe they're just saying Black Lives Matter is a slogan because they don't actually know kind of what's behind that, right? Mm -hmm. Because I didn't know that. Last summer, everybody was saying Black Lives Matter. I'm like, of course, Black Lives Matter. Absolutely, Black Lives Matter. So I said that too. And then Mm -hmm. somebody said, hey, do you know that organization, BLM, like what what they stand for, what they're about? Mm. And I started researching, and I and I found out that man, they're a cultural Marxist organization mm-hmm. that is staunchly atheistic and staunchly anti-family, and staunchly anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I had to go, oh, I think I need to think twice before I say certain slogans that have attached themselves to certain organizations that are not congruent with the gospel of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. 
But I think right now there is so much confusion from so many people. People are saying slogans or talking about movements that they've never researched or read about or talked with anybody that knows anything about it. And again, we just read the headlines or we read the tweet and we just make all sorts of crazy assumptions that are untrue. And I would just petition anybody listening to this is like, do not jump to conclusions and do not make assumptions about anyone or anything based on what associations you think they may have. Get to know them and find out what it is that they actually think. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Learning the context of their lives, and I think it's really important. Yeah. Really knowing their childhood and what they grew up with or what they grew up without um, is really important. Or, or like what they mean by that. Like if somebody says yeah. Black Lives Matter, okay, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean mm. that we should treat black people with dignity and respect because their lives matter just as much as white people. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. I agree with that, right? But if you say Black Lives Matter and you mean, oh, do you mean that you support BLM that takes part in domestic terrorism? And people go, of course not. Of course I didn't mean that, right? So we can go really crazy and nutty with this going on witch hunts to try to, again, eradicate CRT. And I think that's that's foolish. Um, and it kind of does cancel culture from the other side, but that's that's a whole other podcast. So, mm. yeah. This is a heavy topic today, Gabe. It is. It is. I don't think we've made any jokes through most of this podcast. No, we haven't. Um, you didn't do any impersonations of you know, <laughs> famous musicians, or I, I didn't. We didn't make any jokes about cheesy '90s Christian music, or I don't think I saw you crack a smile the whole time. Maybe, maybe next episode needs to be just complete, just which is forty-five minutes of us literally just doing impersonations of random celebrities. Mm, yeah, would you listen to that? I would. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody <Absolutely>. else would. <laughs> We should just play DC Talk, uh, Jesus Freak, and just just do yeah. re- responses to it. And yeah, or us just singing along. Do you think people mm. would listen to that? I don't know. Forty, like the whole album, us just literally singing along. That Sandy, would, Sandy, Patty. I think people would. Uh, our beards and Bible uh, audience would immediately get diminished to like two people after that day. So the, yeah, the two guys left in DC Talk would be. <laughs> I get a call from Michael Tate. Hey, man. Love what you're doing with the podcast. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, this is a huge issue. So neither Gabe nor I are experts on it. If you have any feedback or questions or maybe there's something we missed, um, please reach out to us. Please don't go and give us a one-star review and call us misogynists. <laughs> um, reach out, man. We'd love to hear your perspective and your viewpoint. Um, and And listen, like, all of this has to be handled with a tremendous amount of grace and compassion married with a devout commitment to truth. And I think that's a, that's a hard balance to strike sometimes be someone that holds on to truth, but also be someone that is compassionate and has grace and mercy. Yeah. And is approachable to have discussions without flying off the handle and getting angry. Um, it's a hard thing to do, but I think it's important when we have discussions like this. Yep. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool. I think we've solved all the, all the world's problems in that, in that I, sense. I think so. Um, everybody needs to read Animal Farm by George Orwell. Read mm-hmm. it. Discuss it. Um, also, you need to read 1984 by George Orwell as well before they stop banning. They're going to start banning that book pretty soon, probably. So 
you need to read it and uh, it'll change your life so all right thank you guys for listening and we'll see you guys next time well thanks for listening that's our show if you like what you've heard make sure to give us a share leave us a review or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com